What I was really craving is a zest for life. I just felt very happy. And, you know, like, oh, really happy, you know, and light, like I've never been before. I was like, oh, that's what it means not to have anxiety. <laughs> Hello, this is Al Levin, the creator and host of The Depression Files. If you enjoy the podcast and have found value in the show, please check out my Patreon page. There, you'll be able to support me financially with as little as a dollar a month. Your support will help me offset the cost of the podcast hosting site, maintain and update my equipment, and support the amount of time that it takes in order to produce the show. You can find my Patreon page at patreon.com slash thedepressionfiles. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash thedepressionfiles. In addition, it would help me out greatly if you could take a minute to rate and review the show. Thank you for considering to support me in these ways. And now, to the show. Welcome to The Depression Files, an interview format show in which you'll hear stories of men who have struggled with depression and or other mental illnesses. In addition, you'll hear deep dive conversations with guest experts on various topics related to mental health. Topics such as depression and other mental illnesses, medication, suicide awareness and prevention, our current mental health system, and of course, the stigma that surrounds mental illnesses. I believe that both sharing stories and educating people are ways to chip away at the stigma. I'm your host, Al Levin, and I want to thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to The Depression Files. I'm Al Levin, your host. I'm really excited tonight on the line. We have Peggy Van de Plash. Peggy is a former banker and venture capitalist. Peggy, welcome to the show. Hi, it's a pleasure to be with you, Al. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, so I'm I'm really excited about this topic. It is one that is really hot lately, which is the idea of microdosing psilocybin or LSD and the impacts, the positive impacts it has on one's mental health. Yes, I'm very happy to, uh, you know, answer any questions, explain my experience. And, you know, when we publish the audio, very happy to answer any questions from the audience as well. Ah, that's awesome. And we'll make sure to get contact info for you, the best way to contact uh, at towards the end of the interview. I would like to start, though. I know that you, you're kind of challenges dealing with some mental health struggles started pretty early in your life. And could you just tell us a bit about that? Yes, of course. Yes, yes. So, so you know, it's, it's interesting because you don't always realize that um, you have mental health issue uh, because if it's something you've always lived with, <laughs> it's just the way life is. It, it feels normal. It feels normal because you're not in other people's heads, so you don't know how they think, you know. So, so for me, it's it's probably a few different things. First is genetic. You know, I'm neurodivergent, so this is something that is just in my DNA, kind of. So not much I can do about it. Um, what do you mean when you say neurodivergent? Oh, you know, like that. So it's 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 a bit of a combination of things with. Um, 
I would say, the uh, learning disabilities, so uh, ADHD, um, but also combined with uh, IIQ. I know it's a strange combination, <laughs> but uh, that, that made me think and process things uh, a bit differently. Uh, right. Than uh, I'm air quoting normal people. I don't think I'm abnormal. I just <laughs> think differently. So, so that makes me also extremely sensitive uh, to uh, to what's happening to me. So, so that is just nature. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. That's 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 my DNA. Um, in addition, I had a childhood that was. Uh, I would say a bit challenging in terms of mental health uh, from my uh, my mother. Uh, my mother raised my brother and I as a as a single mother, and sh she has a, a very narcissistic personality. So that uh, that is very difficult for a child in terms of self worth, you know, because you're constantly um, talked down and people, you know, invalid you. So so that so that created a lot of struggle for me because. The way I look at mental health, if your personality, your authentic self, when you were born, your essence is very diff different from the conditioning you're getting from your parents, right. your school, your church, you're stretching, stretching, stretching. And, you know, that creates a lot, a lot of internal turmoil. Oh, absolutely. Know? Can you give some examples about how your mother would treat you coming from the perspective of having a narcissistic personality disorder? Yeah, of course. So, you know, like I and I don't even remember most of that. It's a bit second hand because I can tell you that I almost blanked on the first 10 years of my life wow. I have very very few memories and uh, but I know that I was a very uh, lively child you know I had a lot of energy and I was very talkative and all that great stuff and because I was born smart which is not it's like saying I was born tall you know like there is nothing nothing great to that I didn't do anything for that right, right so so I you know when I was so I skipped I skipped a class and all that great stuff and I was the type of kid who was always you know raising her hand and you know being very excited like like a kid would be and that would annoy the you know my mother very much so she would you know say oh you're annoying everyone you know stop talking uh, we shouldn't hear you we shouldn't see you whatever so I became very very shy if you were to talk to me I would blush uh, I would hide. So it was very, very debilitating. And uh, even as an adult, uh, if you were to see me on the street and ask me what time it was, I would blush, you know. Okay, right. So, so you, you can imagine as a banker and venture capitalist, blushing in meetings <laughs> is not necessarily very uh, well perceived, you know. It's not a sign of power, maybe. <laughs> it is not, exactly. So, so that was, so. but that again, that's coming from childhood trauma it's not something that is coming from your dna right again it's it's the shame it's the guilt that the parents and society use to keep you in line yeah right more environmental given the conditions that you were living in and so exactly, forth exactly exactly and then you have i think circumstances so what i mean by that is that my, my brother passed away when i was 17 in an accident and that really was devastating wow. for me so so i would say it's a bit of a mosaic of what is your nature your dna for me neurodivergent yeah. what is your childhood trauma the, so I, I was speaking about my mother but at some point one of my uh, stepfather with whom we lived uh, with had very very big depression okay 
it was for him it was um kind of a constant state he, he really really um it was very heavy i would say on on the on the depression spectrum so that was that was quite challenging for us as uh children and and relative so that came also in the childhood trauma and then you had circumstances that for me for example well losing my brother and then you know like you can get a divorce you can get fired for your job so there are plenty of reasons right um and and if you're a bit more sensitive from childhood trauma or from you know uh, the nature these circumstances that can never happen for you but sometimes will happen can also trigger you so it's a bit of layer cake that's the way I, i look at it actually right you know one piece you haven't mentioned at all was just the fact that you were living with a single mother. Was there a father in the picture at all? And I would imagine that could have, some, yeah. you know, a, a part of your circumstances that you're addressing as well. Yes, definitely. I, I never mentioned it because no, he was not in the picture. Right. right. <laughs> so, so, but to your point, you know, like the, the, the wound of a trauma of abandonment and rejection right. uh, was, was obviously present as well, you know. So, so you end up with a single parent that has mental health issue and then the other parent is not present. So as a kid, you have no other choice than to rely to you know, to that parent who is still around, even if she's not reliable. Right, right. So that creates a lot of feelings of being unsafe. Oh, absolutely. Because you have no idea. And you know that if that person is not there anymore, no one is going to catch you. Right. So you're right. stuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So that was, uh, that was challenging, yeah. What about, um, you know... Trauma, I'm sure trauma is trauma and very, very challenging, but it seems like you have a couple of different pieces going on, like the trauma of living with a narcissistic narcissistic mother is kind of an ongoing battle that you had to to struggle through and live with. And then the, the death, the sudden death of your brother um, mm-hmm. is like a whole different type of trauma I would think and I'm wondering how how did you get through that and was there any kind of counseling or therapy that that you were able to get for that well listen you know I I was uh, I was born I'm sure you you have that to my accent but (laughs) I was raised and born in France um, and I'm coming from a very blue collar you know, uh, type of uh, environment. And I was born in the 70s. So I can tell you that no, if there was no therapy or counseling, <laughs> you were just, you know, like pouring through and, and it is what it is. And uh, and to be totally honest with you, because if, if you're a bit familiar with narcissists, but narcissistic parents, they expect their children to cater to their needs. So you totally forget about yourself. You right. know, like you're not expecting to have any feelings. You're not expected to have any needs. You have no dreams. You're just an extension to serve them, you know. Right. So, so when my brother passed away, the only thing for me that was important was supporting my mother. I never for one second stopped to think about what it meant for me right and it's only actually very recently that i started to opening uh, that pandora box that i had uh, buried very very deep (laughs) within myself because that's the only thing i knew how to cope with so since i was very young which is a 
terrible way uh, of dealing with it. But I was just burying things, burying things, burying things, which obviously makes you more and more, I won't say unhappy, but suffering. You know, like it, it creates a lot of suffering. And you don't know why, because... You know, when you are raised by a narcissistic parent, at least for me, it was a lot of brainwashing. So I didn't realize my mother was actually like that. Right. So, you know, I'm 45. I realized that my mother was narcissistic when I was 43. Okay, <laughs> so, right. So, right. you know, to tell you the, the level of, of brainwashing, you know, because it's difficult for you to think that, okay, my father, uh, you know, abandoned me and my mother doesn't care about me. I mean, like, for a child, that's a bit tough. Too. Oh my goodness! Yeah. <laughs> so, so you just pretend it's normal, right? You know, right? So, I had to do a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of healings. I had to do ten years of healing to even be able to realize that, oh, maybe there was a problem there. Right. I, I couldn't handle that before. And and I read that uh, that as a child, you also you were dealing with high level of levels of anxiety as oh, well yeah. as phobias and yeah it, this is all because of these factors you've been talking about i would imagine yes you know it's so anxiety because my environment was so unsafe um you know like i mean i would i would leave at some point, I didn't want to even get in a car. I was so afraid that if I were to get in a car, I would die. I was always very afraid of dying because I was so focused on my own survival, you know. So I would travel, but not travel, but, you know, commute from one place to another, always with a little bag that had uh, a, a lamp, uh, some cordage, uh, lighters, all that stuff that if I get stuck somewhere, I can survive. I mean, like that was high level of paranoia. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and what about the phobias? Oh, well, you know, as I say, phobia of getting in a car, phobia of the dark, phobia of water, phobia. I mean, like that was, wow. that was, that was a lot, a lot of uh, things to, uh, to deal with. But the thing is, um, I have a very strong personality, so I would not let people see that. Right. Because I was afraid they would use it against me. That's the thing that you learn when you have narcissistic parents is that you, you cannot show weakness right. because they're going to, and intuitively as a child, you know that. So you cannot show that. So I would just power through. But, you know, there is so much time and so much things you can power through at some point, you know, like you're, you're just crumbling, you know, like it's there is so much your nervous system can take, you know. Right. Did your mother ever get physical with you? Not with me, with my brother, but not with me. Some oh, for whatever reason, she. Well, I mean, when I say physical, now nah, it, it wouldn't be accepted. But when I grew up, you know, like I would see some physical punishment, like you know, being being slapped or things like that, was not necessarily frowned upon. Right. right. <laughs> so, uh, so I was not beaten, if we can say that. My brother either. Let's let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, but uh, compared to what is um, accepted today, there was def definitely certain things that were off limit. Let's put it that yeah. way. Yeah. Can you say a little bit more about what it meant to you to be living in fear? You've mentioned that a couple of times. Fear of well, you know, fear, so, you know, I will, it took me a time to get, sometimes to get my spirit totally broken, you know, so when I was very young, I was rebelling 
against my mother who was denying me. I was not allowed to talk. I was not allowed. If I was to meet you, you're an adult, you're kind. You're asking me, would you like a glass of water? Even if I'm extremely thirsty, I cannot say yes. It's not polite. Uh, if I'm hungry and you're offering me food, I have to say no. Uh, if uh, I can never ask for anything. So, you know, like it was very, basically she wanted an empty doll, wow, you know, like <laughs> right, right. A, very, a very cute kid that uh, adults uh, look at and think, oh my God, she's so well behaved. Right. That's the only thing that mattered to, that, that I would look good on earth, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so, but when I was younger, uh, I guess I was probably realizing intuitively that it was wrong. So I would push back and then she would go into rage okay. uh, because she was not tolerating that. And then she would say things like, well, go see your father. You're going to see if he's going to take you. So I was like, okay, I have no choice. I need to stay with that person who's definitely not a nice person but it's my only option right right and and then when we were and she always had a lot of boyfriends so there was a lot of guys coming in and out and at some point she met a guy and very quickly um she decided we're going to move on with him and uh that gentleman as i mentioned had uh depression depression challenges which is just one part of the equation. He was also a very uh, nasty guy. So at that time, my mother, well, using me as always as a tool, she was like, wow, Patrick, that was his name, is in a bad mood. You need to cheer him up. So I was just there to entertain the guy because when I was entertaining him, if I was making him laugh, well, he wouldn't lash out at my mother. Okay. So it was always the fear. So I went from the fear of my mother to the fear of that guy and my mother using me <laughs> wow. to, to shield her from the guy, you know. So, but you know what? For the first time I was seen and I was helpful. So for me, even if I was in fear, it was also this weird, very actually uh, toxic way of thinking that, well, what is worse, not being seen or being seen for all the wrong reason? Right, right. You know? And then finally, after multiple separation, going back together, me changing schools, going back, da-da-da-da-da, we finally split and then I became again invisible. So it was, you know, it was interesting, uh, an in interesting process, but at the time... I didn't really realize it was wrong. Obviously, you're ashamed. Last thing you want is to talk about other people, about what's happening in your home. Right. Um, so, so, you know, like it was just a very, very weird environment. Yeah. yeah. Well, and like you said from the beginning, it, it was your norm, right? It was your normal. And, and you don't know what other homes are like. And a lot of times from what I hear from people is they just assume that that's how families function. Exactly. And, you know, like it's, it's, it's very challenging when also your, your mother is always telling you, well, at this family, that is what's happening. At this family, that 
that's what's happening. And so, you know, like she's also, she's very conscious that it's not normal, right. but she, she doesn't want you to start talking yeah. <laughs> to other people and then she looks bad. So she's always trying to make it look extremely normal and that uh, it's worse at other people. So you're on top of that manipulated. Right. So you don't even start thinking that things were not normal, you know? Yeah. Wow, it does sound incredibly challenging. So all through these years, what was school like for you? Was that almost um, like a way to get away for a while? Was you school know, good? And did were you able to have friends? I actually, you know, like going to school, when I started school, uh, primary school, it was extremely difficult for me because uh, I could not stay seated for a long time. Okay, right. I, you know, because like, of so, the ADHD. Yeah, so it was extremely, extremely, it was soul-sucking. And um, I went to Catholic church, so ex uh, Catholic school, so I extremely, you know, strict from my kindergarten to my master. Wow. So I, okay. I did like more than 20 years uh, of uh, of Catholic schooling. So it was not the most flexible. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> organization as you can imagine so you know because i uh, i was going fast to do my exercise i would always go to the teacher and say oh i'm sorry i have a headache my belly hurts whatever so i could get up and go to the to the nurse and you know walk a bit and just like make it make it uh, a 10 minute trip instead of a two minute trip right, you know right. uh, so to the to such extent because the teacher saw me as a very shy girl because that's the way i was raised so they could never imagine i was lying so they were telling my mother oh my god i think your daughter has health issue whatever well i never had any health issue it was just my way <laughs> to be able to get out right so, uh, so I would say the first years were very tough, um, especially that, you know, French teachers are not necessarily very nice people at the time. Again, you know, like uh, you, you are not even supposed to brief, you know, right. like very, very strict. Um, but when I uh, got into middle school, um, uh, you know, I really had more friends um, because I had very, very little friends in, in, in primary school. I, I didn't fit in I didn't really like the children you know like I I couldn't really connect with anyone and people were not connecting with me either but when I went to middle school and then high school uh, then uh, I had a lot of friends and I really enjoyed going I was not really keen on learning uh, you know but I was keen on having friends uh, on having friends and then my brother passed away so I would say my years in business school were not necessarily the most joyful but for a different different reason right right and was going away to school a bit of an escape from your mother but you know I never really realized so it was an escape when we were living with my stepfather okay. because he was really like sucking the air out of out of everything when I was with my mother it was different because I, I didn't you know once she broken my spirit when I was very young she didn't really care about me so she was not on my case she was just not giving any attention to me right so it was not like okay i'm afraid because my parents are going to you know beat me or they're going to you know i was just not seen right 
So it was a different. It's it's a bit different than maybe what you've heard with with previous uh, with with previous guests. Yeah. Wow. So school, you know, you mentioned it started going um, better in middle school, high school, and then you went on for your master's, and and you ended with a fantastic career, right? And did very well. I did because you know I was raised as a people pleaser. So for me, corporate environment was easy. What do you want? What do you want? Let me do it. So, you know, like I could come at 5 a.m. in the morning to work, finish at 11. You know, like I I was just uh, happy that people were seeing me and having validation for the work I was doing. That was the first time in my life that people were actually expecting something from me. So I was actually very very excited so the structure was very tough i was like my god i'm not going to be able to get up every morning and do the same thing over and over again the routine that was very 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 difficult for me because uh, that's not the structure uh, that works well for me you know like a very fixed schedule but the fact that people wanted to uh, work with me uh, i was actually very happy you know for all the wrong reasons, <laughs> but they were catering to my trauma, you know, like, I mean, that's ideal for the corporate world. I hear people who had narcissistic parents, they're going to be amazing employees, you <laughs> right. know, they're going to jump up and down to, uh, to serve you, you know? <laughs> right, right. And it sounds like you moved up quickly within the organization and the, the career, your career. Yeah, you know what? For me, again, that was that was easy because uh, I read people very well, so I could very quickly understand what I needed to do, what the people wanted for me, and also, you know, like uh, I have to admit, some manipulative. Uh, uh, when when you're raised with people who are very manipulative, you do learn a few tricks, unfortunately. Right. Uh, so so I could quickly see who. Oh, I needed to position myself, what I needed to say, and all of that. Yeah. And so I had a very strong work ethic. I could read situation very well. So all of that made me uh, a very successful employee. The, the big challenge I had is that because I was deeply, deeply insecure, I was self-sabotaging myself. So I changed jobs very frequently, okay. very, very frequently. Every year and a half, two years, I had to change job, you know, because I had to burn bridges if people were too nice with me because I have very low self-worth. There was something, you know, like it was not familiar for me. Right. Things going well was not familiar for me. Ah, right. So I had to screw it up. Right. So self-sabotaging behavior, relationships, it sounded like, got difficult. And what was your mental health like at this point in your life? So the thing is, I, I always had very deep anxiety. And uh, I, I didn't really realize I had anxiety because for me it was normal. So the thing was, I had to work over time because... I was so afraid to make a mistake that, uh, you know, I, I, I would spend hours doing something that would take maybe 30 minutes 
or maybe if I was doing some public speaking, even if I were to speak for 10 minutes because I was so afraid to blush, you know, I was trying to, uh, to, to prepare as much as I could. Speaking in meetings was very difficult. So there was tremendous amount of pressure on me that I was putting myself under, let's be honest. Um, but I didn't even realize it. Right. And, and therefore still no, no kind of therapy or anything around the anxiety. So I did try. Um, so I think my first try with therapy was probably 10, 12 years ago. Okay. And so before therapy, what I did was uh, a lot of hypnosis. Oh, okay. For my blushing, because it was something that uh, was very, very debilitating for me. And uh, so we were able to lower it significantly. I was still blushing quite a bit, but compared to before, it was way better. Let's put it that way. Yeah. You know? So unless of, un, you know, I, I would blush 50 times a day. Now maybe I would blush 10 times a day. Okay. Wow. 10 times a day is still a lot, right. but compared, compared to 50, it's better, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it depends what your baseline is. So so I use I use hypnosis for that. And then I tried to go to therapy uh, twice with two different practitioners. But the thing was, I, I was not ready for that. I think that's the big challenge. And very quickly after one or two sessions, when I was talking about, uh, because they always ask your childhood, da 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 and very quickly, when the therapist would say, well, did you think it was normal, for example, that my mother stole all my savings, you know, like just one of the many examples. And I would be, well, she had no other choice. So I'd be very defensive of her, right. you know. And so, and it was just making me feel very bad and very angry every time I was going to the sessions. So, and, and I think the challenge with therapy it depends who is your therapist yeah. and it depends what your problem is and, you know, where you are in your process, you know, like I'm sure if I'm going now, I would probably have way more success right. because I've done a lot, a lot of work with different modalities in between. But at the time it was almost re-traumatizing me. Okay. Gotcha. Talk, talking about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, so I did very, very, first I read a lot of books um, and I, I did many things, but like the, the most uh, the most esoteric thing you can imagine, I did. I'm not sure if you're very familiar with Goop, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow. She has a lab and she's trying all these weird things and all of that. I can tell you I've tried everything already 10 times, you know. So, And, and that helped very much with my healing. It's just that it was extremely slow. Okay. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if you've been traumatized for 30 years, saying that it takes you 10 years to get better, maybe it's normal. I don't know. <laughs> Well, well, at what point did you realize that your past had been traumatizing and what spurred you on to finally look into going to a therapist and start this path to recovery? So uh, I did not accept the fact that my past was traumatizing. Okay. Absolutely not. It took me a very long time. It's very recent. Because if you were to tell me that, I would say, are you joking? I could have been born in Africa, uh, living on $1 a day, uh, being raped and being bitten. So for me, I, it was unacceptable to say that I had trauma. Gotcha. Because other people uh, had it worse. 
Right. You know what I mean? Right. So I was rationalizing in a way that, and probably because it's the way I was raised, you know? yeah. uh, I, I was I was using the same arguments, I guess, my mother used with me for myself. You know, you internal, you're internalizing that. So for me, it was disgraceful right. to say that I had trauma, even the passing of my brother, I would say everyone has something like that in their life at some point. It's normal, yeah. and it is what it is. It, so it's yeah. really interesting. I don't don't often talk about my blog on this po- on this show, but I did recently write a post about the fact that people say others have it worse and just kind of discount their own trauma because other people have it worse. And I think it can be damaging, right? Like it prevented you from from really coming to terms with the fact that you had a traumatic background. Exactly. And you know, like too bad doesn't make a good. Right. And, and you know, like I realize now, I'm like, oh my God, that's so stupid. It's just that I was very ashamed mm-hmm. to admit uh, that first for me, I was looking at it as I'm weak, Right. you know? Like, but also, again, comparing myself to others, I didn't think I had the right yeah. to call myself traumatized or, you know, things like that. Right. So, so it, it definitely delayed. But I would say um, I still knew something was off. I just couldn't say what, to be totally honest with you. And the weirdest thing that brought me, you're asking me what brought me to my healing, and that's that's the least spiritual or uh, inspired (laughs) uh, reason I'm sure you will ever, ever hear. At the time, I was managing a family office, meaning I was working for an extremely wealthy tech entrepreneur, and I was managing his money. And that guy was a total monster. I mean, he was a bully. He was, you know, like very aggressive, very in your face and very demeaning. And, you know, I guess the 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 worst you see when you think about great wealth, you know, like, and I'm sure there are many shows, uh, you know, that, that, that will uh, use that type of caricature. Right. And working with him was the worst, but also the best thing in my life because... As I said, I had no dreams because that was not something that was allowed for me when I was a kid. And the career I had that was successful was simply because I was every time looking at the next, the next, you know, in the ladder, what is the next level, next level, next level. But these were not dreams. It was just, okay, next one, next one, right. next one. It was never an aspiration, you know, like it was just what you're supposed to do. Yeah, you know, like going through the motions and like you said, doing what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to climb that corporate ladder once you're exactly, on it. Exactly, exactly. So it was just the right race. That's what people do. So I was doing it. That's all. Right. But when I worked with that guy, uh, which obviously was the first time uh, I was not in a large company, so very different and he was a self-made, uh, self-made guy, I... So the level of freedom he had in the sense that he could decide uh, Tuesday night, well, you know what, off tomorrow, I'm going to go to Monaco. And Wednesday morning is on his private yacht, in his private jet, going to his private yacht and spending his time in Monaco just because he wanted to. And I was just like, oh, my God, some people live like that. <laughs> you can you can be free. You know, it, it was the money, but it was more the freedom. Right. The fact that, 
oh, and, and, and you're going to say, well, Peggy, you never realized that. You never watched a movie. You never watched social media. Of course I did, but I never understood what it meant. Yeah. You know? Or actually met somebody living that way. Exactly. So a guy with whom you have lunch three times a week is living like that. And you're just like, well, why not me? You know? Right. And suddenly, for the first time, I was just like, and honestly, it was coming from a purely materialistic uh, point of view. Huh? So it's not coming from a very high uh, vibration, <laughs> if I can if I can use that lingo. But uh, it opened up a bit a word for me because I was like, okay, well, if I continue to live my life like I live it today, uh, next ring on the corporate ladder, next ring on the corporate ladder, I will never be able to have that type of life. And now for the first time in my life, I have a dream that is mine and something that I want. And that's what brought me to my healing. Right. And I know it's a very weird way <laughs> no, no, no. to get there, but that really was when I started uh, looking into... And, you know, it's very funny because we tend to compartmentalize personal development, mental health, spirituality. For me, all of that was very much bundled. So, because you cannot really do personal development if your mental health is not good. Right. But, you know, you're going to realize very quickly that your mental health is not good because you're not capable of doing what you're supposed to do or it's going to be extremely triggering right right so so for me that's when i realized that oh my god i have so much internal resistance to everything and so much fear and so much anxiety and so much and so far i was able because i was just going one step at a time i was always able to manage but now i was looking at something exponential and i couldn't handle it right so that's that's really what brought me there right and so you came to this kind of epiphany mm -hmm. that the corporate world wasn't going to be your path. And so what steps did you take? And is this when you started exploring psilocybin? Well, actually, I, um, so when I, I worked with that gentleman for a couple of years, I did different things. Then I started my business and all that great stuff. Um, and I actually even went back to corporate for a year. I couldn't do more than that. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and psilocybin was really something I would say I tried out of desperation. Okay. Um, simply because even if my healing was happening, it was extremely slow. Yeah. And extremely what, what were you doing prior to psilocybin in order to work towards your healing? Yeah, so um, I, I used to do tapping, me and I still do tapping meditation. Okay. That has been extremely, extremely helpful for me. Uh, I had coaching, but with coaches that were um, like half psychotherapist uh, therapist and half coach, you know. Um, I did uh, meditation, visualization. I did like a ton of different modalities, to be honest with you. And, and that's something I would like to recommend to your listeners is Try different things. Yeah. And it sounds it, like mostly non-traditional. Yes. Of, yeah. Yes, because my experience with traditional therapy was not uh, successful for me. Right. And I didn't want to do it again. So I tried over avenues. Yeah. And that's, that's really what... Um, was working better for me at the time. Right. And, but again, 
I did very good progress to the extent I was able to realize that uh, maybe my, my mother was not the, the pure and kind person right. I thought she was. Right. <laughs> and, uh, but again, it took me, it took me 10 years of, of working on myself to realize that. Um, but I still had extremely, extremely dark uh, thoughts, very, very negati- negative patterns, still a lot of self-sabotaging. So, I, but now I could see it right. before, I, you know, I know that it sounds like, okay, well, your healing didn't really help if you still had all of that. But before I was totally oblivious to it. Yeah. So, so now I could see that, oh my God, the first thing I'm thinking is it's not going to work. I'm going to fall flat on my face, you know, like right. all the things. And, uh, and I was just like, okay, I can continue doing all the modalities I'm doing now. I can add a therapist. I can do all that stuff. But, um, uh, it's not working, you know, like it's not working fast enough, you know, or deep enough or whatever. So I was like, okay, I have two options, whether I go on prescribed drugs to help, because I never wanted to take prescribed drugs. So like I had antidepe- been, antidepressants yeah. or yes. anti-anxiety or. Exactly. Right. And I had, been, I had been prescribed things like that in the past, but I had never wanted, because again, I didn't see myself as someone with a problem. But you had been prescribed them and you had tried them? I didn't. Okay. I, I, I was prescribed them, I bought them, and I have stayed in touch in my cabinet. Uh, I'm sure they're still there. You know? <laughs> okay, so, right. so no, I, I, I refused uh, for whatever reason, I don't know, in my mind. Yeah. I was not going to take a, a pres Because for me, prescribed drugs, the challenge is that it's nice to use. I find it very, very good to use um, especially when you have an event, you know, like it's a great, I won't say pick me up, whatever. but for me, it was a constant problem, Right. you know, and I was like, okay, yeah, it's going to make me feel better, but is it only going to uh, solve the symptoms right. instead of a cause? But I do realize and empathize but sometimes that's what we need you know like yeah. we need the we need that now right. you know like uh, we're not trying to solve the problem <laughs> we just want to you know put placate the symptoms you know what i mean right so which was why i was like okay well maybe i need prescribed drugs after after all because i don't seem to be able to get out of this negative loop And I thought that, okay, maybe if I was taking a prescribed drug, I will be able to get to that outside of that negative loop and then improve exponentially my healing, you know? So I was like, okay, maybe I can use that to manage the symptoms and then I work on the causes, you know what I mean? Um, So that was door number one. And door number two, at the same time, I started considering going uh, to ask for uh, medication. I, oddly enough, I would say in a few weeks, tons of information came to me on microdosing psychedelics. So uh, a documentary, an article on Wall Street Journal, someone talking about, you know, and I was just like, oh my God, what that thing? And I never took drugs, recreational drugs before, you know, people do what they want. I'm not judging, but I've never, yeah. you know, but you had never my, done any, not even smoking marijuana or anything prior to the I, psilocybin. I probably had smoked like a marijuana twice. Right, know? right. 
uh, and when I say twice, you know, like uh, two two inhalation. That's what I yeah. so um, so. I mean, okay, technically I did I did <laughs> right, try, right, but right. I, you know, I mean, and um, and but I've never had any inclination yeah. towards that. I think that's probably more uh, accurate. Right. So. So when this, uh, these articles came on microdosing uh, psychedelics and especially psilocybin, so the, the mushrooms, I was pretty um, reluctant, but also doubtful. But I was so desperate that I, I started reading. And I was just like, oh, well, what do I have to lose? At this point, <laughs> there's yeah. nothing to lose. And in Canada... Uh, the, the regulations have uh, have changed, and I know in the U.S. in certain uh, part of the U.S. it's the same. In the sense that uh, psychedelics are decriminalized, right, right. So I could buy uh, chocolate with mushroom in it, you know, like edibles at my massage therapist. Wow. Okay. So easy, easy access. How long? Super access. How long do you think it took you from going to from? Oh, there are these articles on psilocybin. Well, that's kind of crazy. To wow, maybe this is something I should try. I mean, was that after your first article you read, or was it several weeks later? Oh, it was pretty fast. I would say, you know, three, four weeks. Okay, it is yeah. pretty incredible when you read about the benefits of these. Yes, and that's that's really what you know uh, pushed me in that direction, and so. I, I did do a lot of research, you know, and uh, I went to buy my little uh, my little chocolate, and I started, um, you know, on my own. I didn't know anyone around me who was doing that, or if someone is doing it, never mention it. Right. right. <laughs> and uh, so I started myself, and I started. Uh, I don't like to say experimenting because that sounds uh, very uh, scary, but, you know, uh, trying uh, different dosage, very low, but still different dosage, different frequency, one day out of two, one day out of three. And, and uh, had you read about some of this before you oh, were like, yes. oh, I'll just do this amount or oh, this no, no, amount? No, 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 no. I, I had read yeah. I had read tons of articles. So I, I knew already what was the baseline yeah. for the dosage, what was the baseline for the frequency. No, no, I knew all of that. Right, so, right. so so I started with, um, with a baseline as mentioned. Okay. And then after I tweaked it a little, bit because I always believe, you know, we've never met, but I'm pretty sure that our body will not process the same way. Right, so when, right. when you read the baseline, a baseline is an average. No one is an average. Yeah. So, you know, so I, I find it great to start with that because right. it gave me an anchor. Yeah. I, I would not have been comfortable just trying it myself and, uh, you know, de do-it-yourself type of stuff. But after that, I was just like, okay, well, we see every other day. I'm going to try every three days. Uh, we see that type of quantity. I'm going to try a bit more. I'm going to try a bit less. Da, 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 da. And also, you know, like something that works well for you on uh, January 15, on uh, March 1st, you might need a different dosage. Yeah, yeah. There's you probably know. a lot of different factors going on. Exactly. What you've eaten, how your mind is, so many different things. But can you tell us about the very first time you decided you went in and you bought 
a chocolate that had psilocybin in it and taking that first bite what was going through your mind and were you nervous at all were you just thrilled about this well i I was i would say nervous and excited slash hopeful yeah um so the first dose uh because I had never taken anything, uh, for me, I felt a bit of a eye <laughs> because I was very sensitive to it, uh, but not an eye like hallucination or whatever. I just felt very happy. Yeah. And, you know, like, oh, really happy, you know, and light, like I've never been before. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, that's what it means not to have anxiety. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> wow. Like, you're not looking at your watch every two seconds to make sure you're on time and constantly checking your calendar and your emails, you know, stuff like that. And because I could check the time a hundred times a day yeah. to make sure wow. I was on, on time, you right. know, like I, I had this very big, uh, I don't know if it's a phobia or whatever the word is, but of being late, you know, so I was constantly stressed about the time, the time, what time is it, what time is it, what time right. is it. And, and that is very, very painful. You get up in the morning, you're already anxious yeah. about what is in, what's happening today. Am I going to be late? You're just thinking about the logistic, oh, right. you know, like, so anyway, so I took my little chocolate and I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So, so positive impact right away that you noticed. Well, so it took me, I think, 30 minutes for the, between the ingestion of the chocolate and the first, you right. know, the first effect. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, that was, that was very, that was very good. But I would say that was, you could feel that kind of eye, you know, excitement. Yeah. Maybe the same that if people drink, so I don't know. And, and had uh, you kind of planned out this first time, like, okay, I'm going to, take a bite of chocolate, I'm going to make sure I sit on the couch and I watch some TV or I'm going to have a book by me? Like, were you really thoughtful about your environment and what you were going to do? Yes. So, so I, I was not walking. Uh, you know, I did it very often. That's what is recommended. Start microdosing in an environment that is low pressure so you're on vacation or whatever don't start that you know when it's your busy week at work you know (laughs) but uh, so i actually uh, i have uh, some little woods not far from me so my plan was oh but i'm gonna go for a walk outside so you know again these are very small doses it's not a trip Right. It's not like what people take and go in the universe and whatever. Like yeah, that's, not, right, that's not that right. type of thing. The only thing you have is a bit of euphoria. At least for me, that was just that. Right. But again, those are tiny, tiny, tiny. And so this is what they call microdosing. And it, can you share with people what the definition of microdosing is? I know it. Obviously, it's a small amount, but is there a, an actual definition? Well, you know, you can look at it as taking a dose that is five to ten percent of what a dose is when you do like a trip (laughs) trip so for some people that might be um the equivalent of 10 milligram okay Uh, some people might take a bit more a bit less depending what it is a hundred milligram you know like depending on um the type of mushroom the frequency that type of stuff Uh, if you take a trip usually you're going to take three grams okay. of mushrooms 
So you're you're really taking a significant, uh, significantly smaller dose. Right, there. and and daily, typically, if you're microdosing, or so that depends on your um, on your schedule. So microdosing psychedelics came back uh, in the forefront, not because of mental health, but because of performance. Okay. So so the guys in Silicon Valley. Uh, brought that back uh, because it helps very much with focus, creativity. Um, you know, you're, you're very present. So a day of eight hours uh, work might look like 12 hours, right. you know. So so that's really what brought back um, microdosing. And I shouldn't say brought back microdosing, brought psychedelics and the concept of, of microdosing. So... People were using it not for the mental health benefits, not for the spiritual awareness, but really, really uh, for the for the performance. And then, as an add-on, <laughs> you you get the mental health for that. So a lot of companies, public and private, actually are doing clinical trials to use psilocybin. Psilocybin, that's the, that's the mushrooms, or LSD, um, to develop new treatments. Uh, for depressions, for anxiety, right. for PTSD, addictions. So the, the, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs uh, started in uh, 2020 this year's clinical trials to help their members uh, with all of that. Again, yeah. anxiety, PTSD, depression, addiction. So there is actually, a, I don't like to call it renaissance because it's really cliche as a word, but um, there is a lot that has been happening in the last few years. Some of that, as always with Silicon Valley, is hype and is greed. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just, but I mean, big pharma is not different, let's be honest. Right. And, uh, but the reality is if people who have a treatment a resistant anxiety depression or you know addictions things like that well that gives them more options yeah yeah people uh, some of my listeners probably know um, I have a couple of different episodes on the show one where I interviewed a researcher from Johns Hopkins on their research around psychedelics um, I believe it was mostly psilocybin and the uh, founder of MAPS organization who's yeah. been involved in trying to legalize it for a long time. And I believe uh, he had mentioned either MDMA or psilocybin was even identified by the FDA as a breakthrough drug. And they were trying to push them to do some research on so-called healthy people who didn't have depression or anxiety. Yeah. Yes, yes. It's, you know, like it's wonderful because it's happening in many countries at the same time. Uh, obviously, it's also so. So MAPS was really also coming from, I would say, a good place. Right. <laughs> which was really about uh, helping patients. Obviously, now, well, people are following uh, the return on investments. I'm not saying it's a bad place, but, you know, there is always some abuse when the main goal is, is, is monetary. Greed. You know, exactly. Yeah. But there's one thing I really want to mention. The beauty of psychedelics is it rewires the brain. Yeah. So it, it really plays on the neuroplasticity of the brain. So that's what I was mentioning before. All the drugs we have today, that the prescribed drugs, nothing solves the problem. Right. You know, while actually psychedelics 
is, I would say, a doorway for you to become healthy or healthier if it's not totally cured. So that's what I, I really enjoy is this idea that what I'm taking is also helping me build new connection, healthy connections. And if I stop tomorrow, I'll be in a better place right. regardless. Yeah. So you're saying it, it is creating new pathways within your brain that will be there, continue to be there in the future, whether or not you continue to take psilocybin. Exactly. And, and you know, like what we, what we don't always realize, it took me a while to understand that, is that, you know, the, the big challenge for, and I say us, people who, who are in this situation of mental health issue is that our nervous system is overloaded. Right. You know? And what psychedelics and psilocybin, I don't take any of the LSD, MDMA, which are more chemical. So for me, I was less interested by that. I was more into the plant thing. Right. Um, but I'm sure they're amazing, but I'm not <laughs> doing that. Yeah. So when I, when I talk about dosage, uh, please, I'm talking about mushrooms. Don't yeah. do that with LSD or MDMA. And um, Well, and, and, well I, and we should note that you nor I are doctors and and we're not here advocating telling people to go out and and shroom we're we're sharing your experience exactly and I think that's very important to say that I am a a data point of one yeah you know and it it worked very well for me but you know I am a healthy physically individual so So tell us more about what happens to you when you take it so you explained that it it is not it is more like feeling high, less anxiety. You notice that your anxiety is gone. Can you share with us more? Do you get, um, obviously, because it's microdosing, you're saying you do not get any of the hallucinogenic factors from the drug. But w- what else can you describe about when you take the, the yeah. microdose? And, and, and what I, I want to, to say is that the... The I kind of was probably for the first three times. Okay. You know, because it was probably because I was so, un, you know, unaware. <laughs> yeah, it was brand uh, new know, to you, right? It was and brand it, new for my system, yeah. you know. And something you had never experienced. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think, you know, it might be a bit different for, for other people. But so now on top of that, what I did is that I, I reduced drastically the dose I'm taking. So I have absolutely no eye, but um, definitely my nervous system, it takes takes the edge of your nervous system. So I would be the person who on the street, if a car is making a bit of noise, I'm already jumping three meters and hiding, you know, like in the entrance of a building, you know. Uh, Now uh, I won't. I won't, you know, I will notice the noise, Yeah. but I will not go in, you know, my nervous system will not be, you know, flight or fight yeah, type right. mode. But you're so, also not yeah. like walking around in a, a stupor, right? Where it's oh, like, no, oh, I'm not going to jump because I'm just in such a stupor here. Oh, no, no it's, it's just that my nervous system is not as... In the survival yeah. mode, yeah, exactly, right. that it was before. So, you know, it's actually the, the, the opposite because I was telling you about the performance, the focus, and, and, right. and the creativity. I wrote a book in 10 days. Wow. You know, the first draft. 
uh, in 10 days. So you're very focused, you're very... So I'm not sure if you, maybe your listeners, have uh, watched that movie that I liked very much, uh, Limitless, with uh, Bradley Cooper. It's, it's maybe eight years old or something like that. Okay. And so in that movie, you know, obviously it's a movie, yeah? So he, he takes a pill, the pill gives him access to all of his brain and then da 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 he goes on to totally change his life and da 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 and uh, and actually starts by writing a book so that's that's funny <laughs> but <laughs> like, okay but what he was saying in that in that movie that always resonated with me with my microsing uh, my microdosing experience is the fact that he was saying what was that drug i was clear i was not wired i just know what to do yeah, and it's very much how I feel on microdosing. I don't feel up, I don't feel in a stupor or high or whatever whatsoever. You know, like not at all. Uh, on the contrary, I'm very clear. Okay, I'm extremely efficient, and my days feel like they last extremely long, uh, and um, I am just so much more present. Yeah. And what's very interesting is that I have way more aha moment on my healing experience. So, for example, realizing that, oh, my God, I'm still extremely controlling because for me, control was safety, you know. Right. So trying to control my cats, <laughs> trying to control, you know, my husband, trying to control myself, trying to control circumstances. But, you know, it's like, oh, you know, like you have this type of insights that are coming that maybe were staring at you in the face, but many things were staring at me in the face for many years and I couldn't see, you know. So you are way more aware and you connect the dots way better. It's it's very difficult to explain because, you know, I don't run to parallel reality at the same time of, oh, I would have operated without and, oh, I'm operating with, but if I compare at myself before microdosing, um, you know, like the constant negativity is not there. Sometimes right. I even surprise myself at being optimistic, you know, awesome. and at thinking, oh, well, that's going to go well, or it's going to be fun, or it's going to be interesting. Right, right. You know. For people who have been in this dark state, especially most of their lives, they understand what it means. Yeah. You know, they understand that, oh my God, thinking that, wow, you know, please sign me up. Right, you know? right. <laughs> do you think uh, if you, 45 minutes or an hour after you've taken a micro dose, do you think your husband would know the difference? Like if he walked in the door, he'd be like, oh, you took a micro dose today. No, because think about... Um, Okay, if you or anyone who's listening is on an anti-anxiety medication or is on antidepressant medication, that's your new baseline. Right. So, you know, unless you stop your medication for, I don't know, a week, two weeks, I don't know how long it stays in your system, but it's not... um, it's not like okay, you drank three glasses of alcohol. Right. And it's like okay, oh my god, you know, like you're you're definitely tipsy. It's not that. It's exactly. I know you know it's it's very weird because today it's not classified as a prescribed drug. It's still classified as a drug. So people think about all these things: your eye, your vis, your that. But 
imagine if we were to reverse and see the medication is actually illegal and the mushroom is legal, but it's the same thing. You're just taking a small dose of uh, an ingredient that is helping yeah. with your nervous system. It's right. the same. It's just the same. Well, and I think you have done it, obviously, like you've said yourself. I mean, you're a very... You're clearly a very intelligent, careful, thoughtful person about, and you're not going to jump in this and like eat a ton first to see what happens. Like you were pretty methodical. You did a lot of research. You took a very small dose. And, you know, if you maybe I'm guessing if you were one who wasn't so cautious and you were still just taking large doses all the time, people would probably your husband would probably notice because you'd be in the midst of a trip and you're, you're staying far away from that area. It sounds like by by really watching and taking a minimal amount. And I know you, it sounds like you went through a period of adjustment, like, okay, I'm going to try just a slight bit more or a slight bit less and very thoughtful about it, which I would imagine would be important if you're experimenting with, and again, I'm not promoting it, but if you are going to experiment with microdosing, I think the way you did it sounds like a super smart, cautious way. Well, and, and what I've, what I've done is actually I, diminish the dose to the minimum, minimum, minimum. So I have the effect, but I have a quarter of what I was starting initially with. Okay. Wow. And the thing with psilocybin is that it is not, um, you're not building tolerance to it. So you don't have to increase the dosage. It's actually the other way around. So technically, you are decreasing the dosage. Right. So it's, it's, it's very interesting. So I decrease the dosage. I decrease the frequency as well. Um, and uh, so you were asking me, and I, I didn't go to, to, that, uh, to that question earlier. You were asking me about the frequency. The frequency, it depends what you're looking for. So that's why I went on my Silicon Valley uh, explanation and I forgot to, to answer that. <laughs> if, I'm sorry. Uh, if, if you're going for performance, it usually I would say work performance, you have people who take that from Monday to Friday. Wow. Okay. Every because, day. Yeah. Every day, five day a week, because they look at it, their intention, if you want to look at it that way, is performance for work. Right. I'm not sure if it really makes a huge difference to take it every day rather than every other day, but maybe in their mind it does. And if in your mind it does, you know, it does. People like me, uh, I take it every other day uh, and sometime every three days. Okay. Yeah. And, and I really looked at different strains. I tried different strains and I have one strain that works very well for me, which is called uh, Mushroom's Golden Teacher which are basically the, the mushrooms that are recommended for beginners. Okay. <laughs> they're, they're the mildest, but also the more positive okay, right. type of mushroom, which for me goes very well. So that's the one I really like. And I can taste, I can see the difference. Yeah. If you're giving me one or the other, I will be able to tell you that was not my mushroom because I'm not going to feel... Um, as uh, positive. Right. And and how do you decide? Because you said sometimes every two days, sometimes every three days. Is it just based on your mood that you make a choice? Well, that might depend. Let's see, to be totally honest, if I have um, a meal where I know I'm going to have some alcohol, 
I don't want to microdose okay. because I, I don't want to mix things up. And I think it's the same thing when you take pres prescribed drugs, yeah. you're not supposed to drink alcohol. Yeah. So I try to make sure that if I have a boozy night, kind of, uh, I'm not uh, I'm not going to uh, microdose for a couple of days because I just don't want to mix things yeah. up. That's yeah. just my, my own lifestyle, kind of. Right. No, again, I think you're doing it in such a smart way. Um, and is is that some of what you also read about? Because it sounds like you did a ton of reading before you dove into this. Well, I, I did. I did do a lot, a lot of reading. You know, um, I didn't really read anything related to not mixing alcohol or I don't know whatever people do uh, with with that. For me, it was more common sense. Yeah. So, you know, let's see if I, I still have sometimes boot of insomnia, whatever, migraines. If I have a migraine, if I have insomnia, um, I'm not going to do it either. Okay, right, uh, right. So everything where I feel my health, my physical health or my physical state is not optimal, I will not do it. I... <laughs> Maybe I could, maybe I should, I don't know. For me, I just feel better that way. It's a bit silly because I'm sure if someone is taking anti-depression or anti-anxiety medic medication, they would take it every day regardless. Right, right. <laughs> but um, I just I just do it yeah. that way. Well, it's interesting because I think you had mentioned like if you have a migraine, you won't. And I'm wondering if, if a microdose might help a migraine. Yeah, I don't know. That's a very good. That's a very good question. Yeah. I, I, you know, maybe <laughs> next time I have a headache, I will try that. Right, you know, right. but uh, yeah, I've been I've been extremely conservative, um, and it had worked very well for me. Yeah. Maybe if I was less conservative, it would work even better. I don't know. Um, as I said, I experimented in a range that I was comfortable within. Right. And I stuck with that. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, like I'm sure uh, people have experimented and they have a different body than mine and they have a different experience than mine and they might be doing very well for themselves right, right. with another dosage and frequency. Yeah. You know? So another question I have for you, I know you, you have a blog and you also wrote a book, which I'd love to talk about a little later. But in your blog, I'm pretty sure in one post I read that you actually did macro dose is it? i did yeah. i did in september actually and, and you did that as kind of a guided tour it sounded like you had a oh, couple yes. of people with you um yes. i'd love to hear about that experience and the the gentlemen who you had with you were they therapists professionals or were they just guys off the street who called themselves <laughs> guides <laughs> so so you know i um because my microdosing experience was so positive, I was like, okay, well, let's double down with a trip because I'm like, if it's working so well at small dose, a big dose might create a big shift. You know, that was that was really my um, thought process. My, my thought process. Yeah. And you have a lot, a lot of research. You have actually way more research on large dose yeah. of uh, psychedelics than actually microdosing. Right. So it's uh, it's something I read a lot about, and so I didn't want to do anything. I'm sure you heard about ayahuasca, which is also plant based. Yeah. Um, 
many people do that. I have friends who did it and loved it. Uh, very often you go to, you know, Costa Rica, Mexico, whatever. And I was like, okay, well, that is not for me. <laughs> so uh, I wanted to stick with uh, psilocybin because I knew it. And I wanted to stick with North America because I felt more comfortable being uh, in North America versus in the jungle and whatever. You yeah, know? somewhere familiar so, to you. That makes sense. Yes, you know, and I just thought people, I know it's silly, but, you know, the rule of law, uh, people are more accountable if they're in Canada or in the U.S. than if they're in Costa Rica or wherever. Right. I, maybe I'm wrong, but, you know, that was a bit my thought process. Comfortability, and, it sounds like to me. You wanted to go where you were comfortable and familiar. Exactly, because for me, it was a big decision. Yeah. Because I, I have never been a drug experimenter type of person. Had so you been contemplating it long before you decided I'm going for it? Well, I did a lot of research. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and, as always. And then I found the people and the place uh, I was interested in, which was in uh, uh, in Columbia Britannic in, uh, in Canada. And these were gentlemen who have been organizing journey for, I don't know, 10 years, something wow. like that. And they had uh, a lot of testimonials, you know. So I, I did a lot of research on them. I had a call with them. Actually, I had several calls with them before going. Okay. And um, and so yes, it was two macro dosing trip. Um, and so f the way I uh, I set it up with them was okay. The first macro dosing trip, my intention, what I want from it is removing a lot of uh, negative, low emotion, energy, you know, that's still stuck in me somewhere, you know, and the second to actually uh, amplify the good. So to make it simple, remove the bad <laughs> and amplify the good. Yeah, yeah. And so the first journey was extremely intense. Uh, a lot, a lot of things came up, especially with my brother, uh, my brother's passing, which I never really processed before. Yeah. So it was very, very intense uh, emotionally and uh, physically. And, you know, like, uh, I mean, a trip lasts seven hours. Huh? Wow. So were you in like an office space or, or what type oh, of location? So if we do that, we have a very, very large um home slash center you know okay so so you so i was alone i didn't want to do it in a group i really wanted to kind of have it totally focused on me so i had these two uh these two guys these two gentlemen and i was the only participant okay. that's the difference usually you're in a group right so usually the ratio might be two guides and 10 participants okay so uh, I was like, well, if I if I'm doing it, I really want you know like all uh, all the attention on me. Yeah. So, and, and were you like in a reclining chair, or and did you just stay in one room for the seven hours? So there was uh, it wasn't a reclining chair. It was more like um, a kind of a bed, you know, like okay. uh, yeah. And so I did stay. So some people do it differently. They talk. They move all of that I really wanted my experience to be I was very committed very very committed and um, so I really wanted my experience to be extremely deep and meaningful yeah so internal I, it sounds like exactly so I was not chatting I was not whatever you know like obviously the guys were around me brought me tons of liquid and all that all that stuff yeah. but uh, I was um, 
let's say I wasn't there to, to chat about whatever. Right, know? right. And so, so for me, that was very interesting. Two big, big uh, learning uh, or cleaning, I guess, came up. The first was on, on my brother passing, which has been absolutely untouched uh, since I was 17. So that was a lot, a lot of processing for me. And the second was very much about the self-hatred, the self-floating, you know, okay. like, uh, and so that was the two big, big piece that, um, you know, the, the medicine kind of worked on, if I can say yeah, that. Yeah, and so this internal experience, like, for example, around your brother, was not again not engaging with the two guides but it was all just your internal experience had to, exactly. to do with your brother are exactly. you able to share any kind of details or things like i mean was this like did, was it almost like your brother was there talking to you or yeah there was a lot of that so it was not necessarily him talking to me but it was more like his presence kind of i don't know okay. to explain that yeah. and the fact that, you know, I was pushing back so much on accepting his passing. Right. You know, so I would not let go. And that's probably one of my big problems. That's why I'm so controlling. I hold on to stuff very, yeah. very tightly. And uh, and I never could accept his passing, let's be honest. Right. So, so it was very much about me accepting that and letting him go. You wow. Know? And that was not one of your intentions, wasn't to seek him out. No, right. my intention was to go in these areas that were uh, problematic for me, but yeah. you know, uh, that could be pretty much anything in my <laughs> right. life. <laughs> right. So, right. so uh, I didn't really know what was going to pop up. Yeah. I'm not surprised that it's what popped up. And was, it incre was this incredibly emotional? I mean, were you extremely, crying throughout? Extremely. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. That was extremely. That was the most intense experience I've ever had. And were the guides talking to you at all? Like, are you okay? Are you doing yes, okay, Yes, Peggy? yes, yes, yes. They were bringing a lot of liquid and yeah. making sure I was fine. You know. But at the end of the day, I didn't really want to interact because I wanted to go deep yeah. in the experience and deal with, you know, you don't want to do it half and then you regret right. that you didn't do. And all my life, I did things halfway, right, you know, because right. I never really committed to it. And I was just like, no, this time I'm kind all of... All in. Standing up and I'm all in. Yeah. So so that was very very strong. And then you know like the the self floating, the self hatred, all of that was also very emotional for me. You know like to try to release <laughs> that uh, that from me. You know. So so that was you know a lot of things moved. Let's put it that way during that experience. Yeah. Uh, then the day after, it's a day of you know. Um, rest because as you can imagine it's, it's very tiring yeah. for you emotionally physically and all that and uh, and then the following day after that I did a second trip which was way more soft because this time was more about amplifying the good and I had already done a lot of removing the bad let's put it uh, in simple terms right and um, and that was way way more light, way easier, way more pleasant. I could feel a lot of things moving, but not in that intense, deep work was way. The, uh, so was there any kind of, during your day of rest, was there communicating with the two guides and did they try to talk through the meaning of your oh, experience? Yes. 
Oh yes, 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 yes. Okay. Enjoying the, the, the day of rest, you're you're uh, you know sharing, but well, you're sharing whatever you want to share. Yeah. You know? like, yeah. And uh, discussing for me, you know, like it's not that I didn't have much to share; it's that I had no surprise. Yeah. You know, whatever came up, well, I kind of knew. Right. You know, okay, well, of course, my brother's passing was an obvious big rock for me. Right. Uh, the self-loathing, self-hatred, well, unfortunately, I'm very familiar with that. So, right. you know, I I know that also very well. So it was not as if, uh, and I didn't come as a tourist, as always, I was very prepared. Yeah. So my intentions were prepared, you know, I so... Yes, I talked with them. They were very, very helpful. At the same time, uh, I knew what I what, what I was coming for. Yeah, you know? exactly. Like and yeah. and then so it was one day rest, and then you took a second trip. And was that yeah. trip same dosage that they had given you the first one? So I took a bit less for the second one, and it was a different type of mushroom. Okay. And was there so, a reason? And was this proposed by them versus you? Well, because they knew what was my intention, okay. um, they adjusted the mushrooms based on that. Right. And it was my decision to take bigger the first one and smaller the second one. Okay, right. Yeah. So yes. it sounds like they clearly work with you, with their experience and their knowledge and what you're looking for and your input on that as well. Exactly. You know, because at the end of the day, well, they obviously want you to have the most successful experience yeah. possible you know so um people come for different reasons right a lot of them come obviously for uh, for healings um you know some people have more things to work than others uh, some people have more experience with psilocybin than others so right. they, they adjust they adjust to that as well yeah, yeah. so yeah. what uh, what stood out in your second trip uh, well, you know, like the second trip was more about insights uh, and also I would say um, just feeling good. It was more like a feeling as well, you know, like it's a bit difficult to explain, but it was more uplifting because in comparison, the first one was so emotional and so I won't say dark, but, you know, letting go of someone right. is not a joyful experience, oh, you yeah, know. <laughs> sure. so, so the second one, because there was none of that and I was really uh, there to augment the positive. Yeah. Well, that was that type of experience, you know. Well, it's like interesting, that. too. Like, were you concerned at all? Like you wanted this optimistic experience, but was there any thought of, wow, what happens if my brother shows up in this second trip again? Because... I'm looking for something different. Uh, no, I didn't. No, uh, because the first trip, it was not scary. Right. It was just emotional. So, honestly, if the second trip had been as emotional, well, I would have just dealt with yeah. it. But it's what I needed at the time. Right. You know. So, right. um, I was not. Uh, I was actually excited yeah. to do the second trip. You know. Right. Uh, I will likely go back in 12, 18 months to go at a second second round, yeah. kind of. Right. You know? Right. Um, but it's yeah. interesting. I mean, you were able to kind of set your intention for both, and then that's really how it played out. It sounds like. 
Yeah, and, and you know, I think it's very important. It's the same thing with my microdosing. I always put an intention as well, you know. So, and and that's what uh, psilocybin has done for me. It it made me way more present. It's breaking yeah. the autopilot. Right. And by breaking the autopilot, you're able also to change your thoughts and what you're doing. Otherwise, you know, we always do the same thing and we're like, okay, what well, does it come? But nothing changed in my life. Yeah. Well, you keep doing the same thing. You know? right, <laughs> so, right. so, so for me, uh, being able to slow down and slow down enough to be intentional about what I want Um Unfortunately, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not intentional 24 hours a day, far right, from it. Right, you know, right. I, I would love that, but I'm not. I'm, I'm far from from there yet. But for the big rocks, uh, I'm able to be intentional. You know, yeah. like I, I, I get up in the morning, I'm excited. I mean, like that has never happened. Right. To be right. excited. Usually, it was just like, oh my god, I have another day. Another, it, yeah, you know? another yeah. day of dread. Exactly. So, yeah. did um, could you give an example of when you're microdosing, what an intention might be? I mean, is it usually around activities like today I'm going to write more of my book, or is it more about like how you want to experience the day and kind of feelings yeah. and emotions? Yeah, it's also because I'm not microdosing for performance. It right. will not be about the book, but it could be that, yeah. you know, depending again on what you're doing. For me, it's going to be exactly what you mentioned. How do I want to feel? What do I want to experience? So, right. you know, very often for me, the intention is to feel more joy. Yeah. You know, because what I was really craving is a zest for life. You know, like feeling that... I was just going through the motions, not enjoying life, always having dark thoughts. Yeah. And I knew that I could do something else with my life and I wanted it to be joyful. Right. And it's not about changing the activities. At the end of it, it's always a question of percep perception. You can do the same activity and enjoy it very much or you can do uh, the same activity and feeling dread about it. Right, you know? right. It's it's not necessarily the activity by itself. Yeah. It's more your your mindset or you know like, and and so for me it's really much about feelings and uh, or do I want to approach my day? Yeah, right. Fair. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. You know, I have to come back to the macro dosing because I'm I'm still so curious and I feel like I didn't dig very deep and I don't need to know specifics, but we're were there what could what more could you tell us about the experience i mean were you seeing colors in your mind were you hearing voices were you was your yeah. body sensations were there just yeah so it it was very interesting because um so so the, the guides that are very um familiar with the process they cater the music to you so you have a bit several cycles where also the music bring you in different state of mind. So you can have at some point a, a spacey type, I don't know, Star Wars, you know, type of music. And that's going to bring you in a different experience and a different feeling that if you have drums playing, right. you know. So so that was quite, I mean, that. I know it's weird, you know, you would have told me that before I did it myself. I would, I would be, I'm, I'm unfortunately quite cynical as a person. So I would have right. said, okay, my God, you're, you're on drugs, definitely. But, but you know, like you're taking that plant, that mushroom, 
And it's as if it's reacting to the music right. in you. It's so weird. Honestly, it's, it's indescribable. So when you have the drums coming, it was almost like the dark energy, the dark things were lifting from me. Wow. You know? Yeah. Well, the spacey music was also bringing me in different um, place of consciousness, you know, and you're like, oh my God, it's a bit like uh, the universe secrets are delivered to you. You know, like I saw pyramids of flight in the stars. I saw, you know, like it, it was very, um, not scary one bit, huh? not at all, but very, and some things were very insightful. You know, it, it was just an incredible experience. A lot and of then, visuals? Yes, but I'm very visual. Yeah. So I don't know if someone else would have a different experience. Right. Someone who might be more, uh, you know, like, a, I don't know if you're more like kinesiologic and it's going to be more feelings or things like that. Right, I, I, right. Kinesthetic, sorry, kinesthetic. And, um, but I also had a lot of feelings, a lot of tingling on my body, you know, like the energy moving on my face, on my feet very much. Um, so it was... Uh, Again, it, it was not the same thing for seven hours. Right. It was changing, changing, changing. And then you're coming back again and you have another cycle. You think you're done and then phew, you're back. Wow, <laughs> right, know? right. Yeah, yeah. That was the most interesting experience in my life. But you just took one um, large dose to start and that carried yeah. you the seven hours. There wasn't a halfway through, we're going to give you another mushroom. So, so that's what I did. I did the the free gram, like the traditional dose. Yeah. And after, uh, I have no idea what times because I didn't have a watch. Um, I I asked the guys for another dose. Oh, so okay. I took a, a, a one point five more. Okay. Right. So while the second time I just took the free grams and I stopped. I stopped there. Okay. Gotcha. Like you yeah. said, you, if you're gonna do it, you're gonna go all in. Exactly. You know, like I, I could really feel I was on the verge of something and I'm like, I'm not chicken, chickening, chicken it, chicken it on that. I'm not going to be afraid. Yeah. I'm going and I'm doing it, not you know, chicken so out. Yep. chicken out, chicken out, yeah. not chicken it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yes, I, uh, I really, uh, you know, and I was proud of myself because you know what? It takes courage to do stuff like that. No, I think you're right. Yeah. Sure. And, for, and just me being able to tell you I was proud of myself, that's a testament that it worked very well. <laughs> right, right, right. Wow, that is awesome. So, and you continue with the microdosing and you, you have no plan to stop. Well, not so far, you know, like again, I, I diminished. So I didn't take microdosing two weeks before uh, the trip and I stopped for probably three, four weeks after. And then I felt that I wanted to do it back. And that's when I really mini, mini, minimized the dose. Okay. Yep. Right. And tell us, uh, you like you said yourself, you, you wrote a f first draft of a book in 10 days. And you do have a book <laughs> that's published, right? And I believe, is it a memoir? So it's a memoir. Actually, I'm still looking for an agent to publish it because... You can self-publish or you can publish with a traditional publisher. And I would rather publish it with a traditional publisher. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a, a like-minded agent. You know, it is you need to find your person. You yeah. know, So I spoke with a lot of agents, but uh, 
I haven't found my person yet. Yeah, well, but uh, I was so just going to say through throughout that process, from what I've heard from other people who have written books and finally land a publisher, like it, it, I mean, you really have to stick with it, be resilient, right? Accept not getting um, publishers, you know, being declined yeah. and st- oh. so forth, and just keep going at it. You and you will land somebody who, like you said, is like-minded that will want to publish it. Well, it's very similar to the VC industry. You know, you're raising money for a company and you're going to speak to 200 investors and one's going to invest. Right, right. It's exactly the same yeah. thing. And publishers are the same. You know, they want a product that they think they're going to be able to sell. Yeah. And that's going to create returns for them. Right, exactly. So, you know, like it's... it's so you I was, know how it goes. Yeah, exactly. So so it's not about the... And I mean, that sounds a bit awful, but it's not so much about the quality of the book. Is is it going to sell? Yeah, you know what right. I mean? Yep. So. Well, it's a business, right? So, <laughs> I mean, I guess business. that makes sense. Yeah, um, exactly. Is there anything about the book you can tell us or are you waiting until it's published? Oh, yeah. yeah. You, you know, it, it's really about my experience microdosing and coming back with, okay, this is how I would have reacted. This is how I'm reacting now. And it's it's a, it's the journey of kind of personal transformation, if I can call it that. And um, I was traveling at the time uh, in Europe. I was... Um, going to Amsterdam to speak at a, at a finance conference. And then I was spending some time in France with, uh, with my friends and going to France was always extremely triggering for me, you know, like all the childhood demons, you right, know, where, where, right. where going back. So, um, I was very excited by going there, microdosing to see who I would react, Right. you know? And that's the first time that I go, uh, that I went to France and that uh, actually I had a pleasant trip. Awesome, awesome, <laughs> so, awesome. So it's, it, the, the book is a bit, uh, think about Bridget Jones meets It's Prelove. So I, I, I really made it a funny funny book with anecdotes and things like that. I didn't want it dry. I wanted it to be light for people, but at the same time really explaining, well, you know, this is all I would have lost my shit before. (laughs) And this is all now I have been able to look at it and even smile, you know, so it's, uh, that's, that's really about that. That's, uh, that's, uh, around four weeks. Okay. uh, yeah, 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 exactly. Wow, awesome. Well, that's that's super exciting. Good luck in, in finding a publisher. I'm sure that will happen. Thank you. Thank um, you so much. And uh, if people want to reach out to you, what would be the best way for them to do that? So they can always find me uh, on LinkedIn, you know, like I'm, I'm quite active on LinkedIn. I have a website. Uh, obviously, I'm on Instagram, like uh, every uh, human being on the planet. So, you know, uh, it's very easy. You know, my name is quite uh, unique, I would say. So <laughs> they, can, they can just put my name in Google and they will see all the social media platform and they can just send me a note with any questions I have. I receive, that's wonderful, every time I, I do a talk, I receive a lot of questions for people who I think would not be comfortable asking people they know. Right. But feel very comfortable because they don't know me. Yeah. So yeah. I'm always very happy to answer and, and share any insights 
I can. And that's what you're doing professionally now, correct? You're, you're public speaking and writing? Exactly. Yeah. So I actually uh, closed my business. A few, that was something actually I decided even before uh, to close uh, to close my business, and uh, and now I'm I'm actually retooling my skills uh, for uh, really sharing that experience because, like you, you know, it's really a question of who can we be helpful. And if my experience can help people, well, listen, uh, I would uh, I would be an happy woman. Right, right. Well, I'll make sure I get your contact info, LinkedIn, Instagram, and so forth on the show notes. And I will just mention your website, I believe, is your name.com, right? PeggyVandeplash.com. Yes. Exactly. Um, and I will spell that quickly. It might take a minute or so. P-E-G-G-Y-V-A-N. D E P L A S S C H E dot com. <laughs> yes. Okay, awesome. Well, Peggy, I'd love to finish up with uh, a question that I ask all of my guests. If you know somebody out there is listening to this show and they are in a place like maybe you describe with, you know, past traumas or mm-hmm. depression, anxiety, what would be your biggest piece of advice for them? Well, you know, the biggest piece of advice would be to honor and recognize their state. There is no shame in that. And I would say don't do what I did by denying it and minimizing it. Uh, On the contrary, accept it, honor it, and try to heal it because there is light at the end of the tunnel. And the, the faster you work on healing, the better you will be very soon. Yeah. Awesome. Great piece of advice. Well, Peggy, I want to thank you so much. Um, thank you. This has been incredible to hear about uh, your microdosing, your macro trips as well. And uh, the, your writing is fantastic. So I hope people do check out your website. Your blog is there. And check out, and keep an eye out for your book. And uh, and I want to thank you also for taking the time to be on The Depression Files. No, thank you so, so much for the invitation and the opportunity to, to share my experience. I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. Make sure you stay healthy. Yes, you too. Thank you so much, Al. Thank you for listening to The Depression Files. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. This is one small way that would help me out greatly. Please know that if you are currently suffering from depression and are experiencing thoughts of suicide, please reach out for help. In the U.S., you can call, text, or chat 988 to connect with a trained crisis counselor, or you can visit suicide.org suicide hotlines for a list of international suicide hotlines. If you would like to connect directly with me, or have a topic to suggest, please reach out to me on Twitter at allevin18 or email me at thedepressionfiles at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening to The Depression Files.